Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we'll be talking about Army of the Dead. The new Zack Snyder movie hit Netflix this past weekend. We have both seen it. And so for the first half of the show, we'll discuss it in general terms. We won't spoil anything. And then in the second half, we will get into spoilers because there is much to discuss, much to consider with (laughs) Army of the Dead. Uh, I guess I'll just start things off. Uh, Adam, what did you think of Army of the Dead? Uh, Well, to quote uh, Collider's own Vinnie Mancuso, it's my second favorite zombie movie from Zack Snyder. (laughs) Um, You know what? I actually, I liked it all right. I thought it was okay. Uh, You know, I had had heard the criticisms criticisms before that it was over long. Um, And yeah, it's pretty long. But honestly, something like this, I found more interesting from Snyder than... um, you know, Batman versus Superman or, or even Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I liked. Uh, I, pr- I think Zack Snyder's Justice League is probably a better movie than Army of the Dead. But I, I don't know. I kind of had fun with the twists and turns of it. I liked the idea of kind of digging into the mythology a little bit of the, of the zombies. I liked the international cast. There were some really uh, great standouts. I really liked Matthias uh, Schweighofer. I think is how you pronounce it. He's German. Um uh so like there are aspects of it uh, that i liked i don't think the melodrama of it all worked very well like the emotional hook i don't think uh it super nailed that and some stuff just makes no sense at all (laughs) um so you know it's that uh it's that frequent problem with snyder where the driving force seems to be it would be cool if um, without kind of consideration to like, does this make narrative sense or make any sense at all? Um, but that being said, some of the stuff is cool. Like it's kind of cool to look at. It's kind of cool to watch. It's kind of cool, kind of fun, uh, to enjoy. Uh, you know, I, I've never seen a guy's jaw get ripped off before. That's a thing that happens in this movie, you know? Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, I thought it was all right. I thought it was okay. I don't think it's a disaster. I don't think it's his worst movie. Um, but I, you know, I also think it's not a great movie. Will we still be talking about it a year from now? I have no idea. Clearly, Netflix has big franchise plans for it. There were two prequels coming uh, and maybe a sequel. I might be inclined to check out a prequel. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I... <sighs> It's a weird film for me because Zack Snyder film will give you tonal whiplash. It just will yeah. because the way it the way it tries to handle things and the way it tries to sort of hit you with very cool, stylistic, awesome slam bang action, and then get really melancholy. And it's not the first time like that's happened in his movies. But you watch a film like Army of the Dead, which has this sort of goofy prologue where the the basically the zombie gets unleashed on a military convoy because a newlywed couple were you know the bride was going down on the groom in the car and it crashed into the military convoy <laughs> um so the movie's really about the dangers of roadhead when you think about it <laughs> But it's, you know, it goes from that. And then so the zombie escapes. And then it's like the opening credits are very zombie land. That very like, look at like all, look at the normalcy being disrupted by zombies interfering. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be really bloody. And it's, um, you know, it's kind of a slow motion. And you've got Viva Las Vegas playing. And it's, you know, it's very stylistic. And then near the end of it, it's like, let me hit you with some emotion as, this woman and child are, are, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I mean, this is the opening credits. I don't think this qualifies as a spoiler. If it happens in the first 20 minutes of the film, but like, you know, people that you thought would be main characters get crushed by a shipping container. And <laughs> yes. So it's really like, that's like, what am I watching? And I feel like, yeah. Cause it's like Richard cheese is singing Viva Las Vegas and it's like fun loving and like happy. And you all of a sudden realize, Oh, I'm watching the origin story for the main characters of the film. Cause you're seeing like Dave Batista in there and you're seeing other people in there and then bam, like a really gutting emotional death happens. And then it's like cuts to the credits. Yeah. And, then, like, the and then let's start. And then we're, and now we're going. And 
it's it's a film that's like it wants to sort of have the fun of heist movies and the fun of zombie movies but also this weird emotional core to it and in that way it's sort of to me this and i said this in my review the film that it feels most like in his filmography is sucker punch Mm-hmm. which is that sucker punch is a lot of like look at all the fun things i'm gonna throw at you look at look at how much fun we're having and look how violent and stylistic but like boom you should feel bad yeah. you should feel bad about these things that i have made you enjoy it's a real it's a weird thing and that and that i think comes up again in army of the dead which is you like heist movies you like zombie movies okay well we're gonna go in the, there's this heist crew they're going to shoot a bunch of zombies and it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Uh, but also like, I'm going to play by the rules of, of the zombie genre where like, it's sort of in a weird way. Like once a character has outlived their usefulness to my plot, I will get rid of them in a way that made it very predictable about when people were going to exit the film. Like once it became clear, like, Oh, they're not all making it out of here as most, as is the case with most zombie stories, not, you know, no, the whole crew does not, that you entered with does not exit. Yeah. But that's then compounded by like the heist element because everyone on the heist has a job to do. So if their job gets finished, what (laughs) utility do they have left to the script? Because they're not really treated like characters, like that people that you're meant to beyond Dave Bautista, you know, his character, Scott and his daughter, uh, everyone else you're not really meant to i think invest in them all that much like i think it's fun i think it's like nice that like the safe cracker and the guy with the with the butt with the blade saw the butt mm-hmm. saw like they're they have a kind of fun relationship but it's it's all kind of paper thin um well but i think that's okay i mean you look at oceans 11 mm-hmm. the relationship between casey affleck and uh um scott con scott con I almost said James Conn. That's not James Conn. That's his son. <laughs> Scott's Conn. Uh, you know, they're not like, they don't have like really complex interior lives, but they're tons of no, fun to watch. But they go, but they go back and forth. But also like, like that's, but that's the thing though. Like in a, in a heist film, like either everyone's going to get pinched. Maybe not everyone makes it out of the heist, but usually like if you're going with like fun heisting, it's that, you know, you can, you can kind of coast on those sort of, on flash and i think that you would look at a film like army of the dead and be like oh well these are two great tastes that would go great together and they i don't think they do so much i think the film kind of i think again i agree that it's too long but also like it's too long because it doesn't seem to know where its urgency is in its storytelling and there are also weird things where just between setup and payoff. And I know people have kind of talked about like there are zombies and like, if they get wet, they come back to life or death or whatever, like their skeleton. Oh yeah. That's like said in passing, but like, but it never capitalizes on that. No. But I'm thinking more like thematically, like the film kind of sets up like, so there's, there's Las Vegas is walled in. There's a wall around it to keep all the zombies. In. And they're going to nuke it. But then there's like a quarantine zone outside the wall mm-hmm. for like refugees. And like these people can't, they, they can't go back into the city, but they can't leave either. And I wasn't complete. I wasn't, I wasn't really clear about the, the status of these people. Like, because it's very unclear, it's very unclear, but it felt like, okay, so maybe Zack Snyder wants to like, he, like, this is going to be in the vein of a George Romero thing where George Romero was using zombie films to tell, a story about society like dawn of the dead is about consumerism uh land of the dead is very much a a bush era war film uh between have and have nots and and uh i think you know those that those themes are clearly present and i thought like oh so is Zack snyder going to make a film about you know refugees essentially no <laughs> <laughs> You, basically, it's it's the place where Scott meets back up with his daughter coincidentally, and she tags along. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, at this point, I've kind of given up on trying to find like some really significant thematic weight to Zack Snyder films. I think he tries sometimes, but it gets really muddled. Like Batman versus Superman has some really high flying ideas, but doesn't ever really like 
clarify them in any significant way it, well it goes back to what you're saying like wouldn't it be cool if and so it, like it, if it I, gets bogged down yeah so he has like a thematic idea and then all of a sudden he's like but, but wait a minute wouldn't it be cool if and then that undercuts the theme and then the theme explodes or the theme gets so muddled that it like no longer makes any sense right and i feel like you know you can see that like his strongest film thematically is probably Watchmen, but that's because it all comes from the book. Like mm -hmm. that deconstructionist approach to superheroes all comes from the book. So if you like send Zack Snyder out on his own, things get messy. And that's fine. Not all film or filmmakers think about theme. I know Tarantino like very explicitly says he does not think about theme when he writes. Um, but I think his movies are so like meticulously constructed that some kind of idea congeals and, and coalesces. I mean, yeah, that's the, the thing. Like they're so, they're, yeah, that the concern is so meticulous that you kind of, you can't miss the theme in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, whereas with, with what Snyder's doing, it's just, it's kind of there in a vague miasma of an idea. <laughs> well, it's kind of, you know, I hate to say he needs an editor because you look at the theatrical cut of Batman versus Superman, I think it's a mess. And you look at the four hour cut of Justice League and I think it's, I think it's good. I know you don't like it. Um, but like he, I don't know what he needs, but it feels like sometimes there's just too many story agents. I think, well, and I think, I think there needs to be someone at, at the scripting stage to be like, you haven't got it yet. Yeah. You, you don't have it yet. And whether that, I, I, I get for like his producer is his wife, uh, Deborah Snyder. And you know, he had co-writers on this project, but I don't feel like anyone is saying like, you don't have this yet. You don't like, in, you know, you're, you're a filmmaker who's going to take his time. Like there are a lot of, there's a lot of slow motion. Like those credits take a long time. Like he's, mm -hmm. his films move at a very deliberate pace, but I feel like it. And, and I, I think that's a separate issue from like, you know, is it a strong narrative idea of my daughter wants to go back into the city to rescue her friend, you know, yeah. that we barely know. And she's like, I'm coming with you to get my friend who could very well be dead. And like, I have no plan to get her out. Like it's, this it's, is that, this is that classic movie where you watch it and you were yelling at the screen be like, you are an idiot. What are you doing? Stop doing that. And like, sometimes that's fun, but sometimes it's frustrating. And this movie, I think it's more often frustrating than fun. Well, and it's frustrating because it's not like, it's not just, if it were simply like, oh, what a dummy, you're going to go get killed by zombies and we're going to have fun watching you get killed by zombies. But like that character is like the emotional core of the film. Yeah. Like yeah. her relationship with, with Bautista, like that father daughter relationship is the film's, you know, core essence, especially, you know, as you see it by the end of the, of the story. So to also be like, I'm going to go do a dumb thing. You've undercut your stakes. Yeah. And it, it gets so, you get so frustrated or it, it's so packed full of other ideas that I found trouble really connecting with that relationship. Um, you know, there's a moment at the end that's supposed to be super emotional and uh, really impactful. And it just kind of landed with a thud for me, but it's also not lost on me that, I mean, this movie was made in the wake of Zack Snyder's daughter's death. So I imagine that father daughter aspect was very important to him. Mm -hmm. um, and I would be curious to know, you know, how, because it's clear that like he doesn't want to drop it and he really wants to focus in on it. But then you have all of this other stuff. Because one thing that I really liked about Army of the Dead is that it works to offer up the point of view of the zombies themselves as well. So that's cool. That's a cool idea. I enjoyed kind of watching it. My wife did not. She thought it was very stupid. Um, but I enjoyed that aspect of it. But that's also just like a hat on a hat on a hat because now you have all of this other stuff to juggle and you have like their interior lives of the zombies and what's going on with them. What does it mean? And, you know, how are they progressing? And at a certain point, stuff gets dropped. Like you, I mean, we'll get into it more in the spoiler conversation, but like plot lines just like drop away and you're like, oh, I guess we're not going to follow that anymore. Right. Um, and the whole zombie, like I agree, like the zombie interior life, there are smart zombies. Like that was actually kind of interesting, but it's all kind of negated by the fact that there's a ticking clock on the heist there's mm -hmm. a they're they're about to drop like the president's about to drop a nuclear bomb on vegas yeah and that's a great ticking clock for your human characters who are now racing to get their score and get out before the bomb drops 
but it's not a great if you're like the zombies have interior lives but like yeah but they're about to get nuked and they're not gonna leave, <laughs> yeah. so it does kind of kneecap the stakes because you can't really invest because you're like yeah but they're all gonna die so yeah they're all gonna get you know you know van you know disintegrated in in seconds yeah. so uh you know but then again i can't help but like one of my favorite things of the of the film is that like the head zombie the main zombie zeus he wears a helmet and I'm like, that's really great. That's like, if you're going to like, that's a very clear way to convey this zombie is smart. It's like, Oh, I'm going to cover up my one weak point, Mm -hmm. you know? And I thought that was like clever, but that cleverness doesn't really pervade the rest of the film. Then he puts on a cape. (laughs) Well, the capes are just cool. Capes are fun. It's very funny. I think Tig Notaro has a, a good one, or maybe someone else. But I think you know Tig. It was Tig Notaro. That zombie wearing a cape. <laughs> yeah, she's very funny. And that's the thing. Like I think this is cast really well. I really like this ensemble. Uh, you know, I like Batista in this role. Um, Tig Notaro was a lot of fun. As I said, I really like Matthias uh, Schweikhofer. I think I, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, and his dynamic with Omari Hardwick, like it is like very Ocean's Eleven esque. But again. You're doing so much at once. You know, Ocean's Eleven is only focusing on those characters. And so you mm-hmm. just kind of, you get to really kind of hang out and have fun with those guys. Um, this movie is not trying to only focus on those characters. Right. And that's the thing. Like Zack Snyder's like, I have all these ideas and they all need to be recognized. Yeah. They yeah. all, nothing can be left out. And, you know, at some point you have to kill your darlings as a screen, as a writer. You have to be like, this is not working for the story I need to tell. It has to be left out. You know, is the zombie, the fact that the zombies are smart and have interior lives a nice addition? Yeah. But is it essential to the story that you're telling? No, it isn't. It's not. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, and so I just, yeah, I, to me, the film doesn't come together. I, and especially at two and a half hours, it's not really the fleet footed sort of fun you know, zombie films and heist films tend to have a speed to them. They mm-hmm. tend to move pretty quickly. Um, this film doesn't. I don't, and most of the action is kind of contained to the third act. I so will like, admit, I paused it like quite a few times to like, we were like making dinner or like I'd take the dog out. So like that kind of helped as kind of like, oh, I'm sitting down for an epically mm, long thing. It didn't feel as long to me because we took a couple of breaks, but. I paid the film respect and watched it in a <laughs> single sitting. And I was like, this is real long. Like, yeah. this is, and, and I think like at the first act, it's kind of okay. But in the, by the, when you hit the second act and they start going off on their own little separate missions, then you're just losing the energy of having these characters interact with each other as much. And like, I don't know, it felt very jarring, uh, the second act. It felt like the air kind of went out of the picture. Well, because the timeline's also off. You don't feel the ticking clock as well as you should because you're like, no. wait, those people are outside. Have they cracked the safe yet? Or are they still cracking the safe? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Whereas, again, you watch something like Ocean's Eleven, you know where everyone is and what they're doing and at what timeline you believe it's happening on. And then it kind of like subverts that and shows you what actually happened. Right. But both times it works to like, you are thrilled, you are compelled because you're like, oh man, they got to hurry up because of this and this and this. And that's the thing. I feel like, you know, in a weird way, Army of the Dead is giving you the worst of both worlds. Like it's not giving, it's as a heist film, it's not really giving me the the speed that I want, the fun mm-hmm. that I want um, and the stakes of the score. And also like, I mean, even as a score, it's kind of shitty. Like these are our heroes, but instead of being like, we'll split it all evenly, it's like, you can take as much as you want and just lie to the other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And be like, if I'm going to, this guy is risking his life just as much as I'm risking mine, but I'll pay him a fraction of what mm-hmm. I'm taking on this job. Yeah. And that just makes it seem crappy. And then there's the whole zombie element, which also like, which doesn't have any subtext to it. So it's just sort of a gore fest, which I guess is fine, but it sort of becomes tired after a while. Yeah, it's, I mean, the gore fest was fun a little bit. It was interesting to, I thought the effects were pretty cool. And again, I thought what they did with the smart zombies was pretty interesting, but it does kind of drone on and and I don't know if you want to talk about the ending because the ending is yeah, a, well let's let's thing. shift gears. Let's shift gears. We're gonna go into spoilers now. Let's talk about the ending. Here's here's my issue with the ending. <laughs> my issue with the one. Well, I only have one. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you know, the whole film characters are getting bumped off, you know, one by one. They make it out, 
And again, it's that sucker punch. It's that really, they don't really, like there was no money. There was no, like there really was, there was never, they're not going to get any money. They're just trying to get out with their lives. Most of them die. The last two are Scott and Kate. They, Scott's been bitten. And it's sort of this, like the, the real, you know, the real wealth was their reconciliation and her understanding how hard it is to, to kill someone you love who's been bitten by a zombie. (laughs) And, but the thing that, here's the thing that irked me. So Kate does rescue her friend right mm-hmm. get her gets they out of like the the million to one shot she finds her friend in in LA, in las vegas gets her out gets her on the chopper they get out the chopper crashes and the friend dies and Kate's left we home. think they don't even show her friend i don't think i don't think no, the they don't i just assumed they i just assumed i saw a slumped body out of the front i was well, like oh, i think that's... though like the film doesn't even take the time to be like and here's what happened to this person that right it's, that, it's not even pretending like it was anything other than a MacGuffin. Like, right it, and, it, it was just and to me it's like well at that point it's like well if you know, I don't care about the thing that this character was my character's driving force. Like that's <laughs> you know, it's at that point, who cares? And like that just it really got under my skin. And to me, that sort of lack of care and sort of being like, okay, so I let I started this movie with sort of being fun and lighthearted, but now I'm gonna end it and be gritty and bleak and sad. And my conclusion is why? To what point and purpose? Yeah. You know, is this like, if you, this doesn't feel like a subversion of genre. This feels like a tonal shift that they had, that, that Snyder didn't earn. Um, but to go back to your point, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if I made a, a movie that was sold and starts off as sort of like fun zombie killing act antics and they're going to get the money. And at the end, it's just a father daughter reconciliation story. And also the father gets shot in the head by the daughter. And also all but two die. And the two that are surviving, like one of them turns into a zombie. And then one of them is going to turn into a zombie anyway. Yeah. Yay. I mean, <laughs> like what to what? Like, I, I feel like, you know, this is the kind of film where it's like, yeah, it's great to make this on Netflix because Netflix isn't going to tell you no. They're not going to, you know, this is the Snyder cut as Netflix proudly mm-hmm. said on Twitter. So this is his version. And we don't know how it performed. We don't know how long people sat. Like that's the thing about Netflix that we don't talk about. It's not even just a matter of how many people watched a movie. How many people sat through the movie? Yeah. Like how many people like after the first act were sort of like, okay, this isn't really what I was hoping it would be. I'm going to piece out of this two and a half hour film. We don't know. We don't know any of the metrics of whether or not this is a success or whether it was an audience for it or not. But Netflix can be like, it's a hit. It's a, it's well, a I guess we'll know if they, if they greenlight a sequel, then we can probably reasonably assume that, sure. it, that it was a hit. But uh, I mean, I don't know. There's so many other plot threads <laughs> that are like introduced as like interesting and then they just go away. Like the whole, the turn that like Garrett Dillahunt was like hired specifically, like he was in on it, like with the girl, she brought him in so he could get the head from the zombie and like, oh, by the way, the zombie's pregnant. So like they can procreate, but anyway it doesn't matter because they all die it's kind it of like matter they're wait all are you nukes. it feels like you know snyder had these ideas and he's like and then we'll reveal in the prequel comic that this is what happened and then we'll reveal in the sequel that there was another facility but like as it stands it feels like something that was dropped i have i have full faith that snyder has i like understands what he was doing and he understands the backstory i don't think he doesn't have an answer but i think it's a mistake to to be like to like introduce these intriguing ideas and just be like yeah well, they die. <laughs> well, well, we'll just not just it. well, not just that, but like to introduce those ideas. But if your excuse is well, it's answered in a prequel and a sequel. If those get made, I hate that so much. To me, that's yeah. the malignancy of franchising because what it says is no, I can't tell a story that's good enough on its own. I can't tell you what's rewarding on its own, but I will give you these seeds, and one day these seeds will bloom. Like you can say what you will about the the Marvel Cinematic Universe as being this giant television show, but most of those movies work as self-contained stories. Yeah. I rarely leave a Marvel film being like, well, I guess we'll find out what happens. <laughs> like, I mean, I left that way, like that was Infinity War, which was clearly like, a, which was intended as a cliffhanger. As yeah, a, as a direct story. It was a two-part story. But most of the time, like I, you know, yeah, Civil War ends with questions, but like, it's a self-contained story. The characters have an arc. 
the I would say Iron Man 2 is the only exception to that where it's just like, oh, this is, but they understood they fucked up. And so they were like, never yeah, again, but we, yeah, let's that. not do that again. So Tony, Tony Stark has no arc in that movie. No, he doesn't. No. My favorite thing in Iron Man 2 is that he's dying of a, of a poisoning and his father happened to find the cure 50 years earlier yes. <laughs> of the like, one thing that his son is happening to die from. Okay. Well, that worked out. Yeah. Um, out but yeah, so like this whole notion of, oh, it'll all come together if you give me enough time. Well, come on, man. Like, what about my time? What about your audience's time? What about our time to sort of say, you can do X, Y, or Z within this given span. And it just feels like there's a level of, you know, on the one hand, I guess, good for Zack Snyder for making the movie he wants to make. On the other hand, that movie doesn't seem to be particularly concerned with any audience. Like, who is this for? What are you trying to say beyond, I hope you like zombies and heist, but also feeling sad. (laughs) Well, so here's another thing that really irked me was the the character of Maria played by Ana de la Reguera. Yeah. Um, the, when she's like, you think I did this for the money? No, I came in here and risked my life because I'm in love with you. First of all, that's fucking stupid. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, oh, you're telling me you don't care about millions of dollars? Second of all, to be like, okay, she's going to confess her feelings. And then you know what? Superman's going to snap Zod's neck again. We're just going to twist her neck all the way around. I'm going to not just kill her, but kill her in a cartoonish fashion. Yeah. Like a cartoon character. Her head gets, her neck gets snapped 180. It's really, and it's just sort of like, it's, yeah, it's shocking, but it's also like, what it tells me is you don't really give a shit about any of these people. You don't yeah. give a shit about their lives or what they want. I'm not supposed to invest in them as people at this point. And they're just fought. They're just cannon fodder for getting murdered by zombies. But also you do want that emotional payoff at the end. It just, it doesn't work. It that doesn't feels work mean, as a That film. felt mean spirited to me. There is absolutely yeah. no reason why she couldn't have come with them and survived the plane crash with the daughter. And they would then go on and like- Or just if you have to kill her, kill her in a way that is not cartoonishly cruel. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like uh, when um, Colin Trevorrow killed that one lady by having her (laughs) eaten by a pterodactyl, but then eaten again by a bigger monster. (laughs) And it's like, does this character really deserve that? Because she didn't do a good job of watching the children. (laughs) Didn't do a job of watching the kids. So um, I got some bad news unnamed, or I guess she has a name, but who cares? (laughs) She'll forever be the lady who just gets destroyed in Jurassic World. Yeah. Yeah. And then also like the idea of like Theo Rossi's character of like an abusive security guard. Like, uh, like I did like the turn of like, oh, we had to bring a sacrifice. I chose this abuser. Cool. Then he comes back at the end as like a menace to the women. I was like, come on. We don't need this. Yeah. Again, it's just all these sort of That's things. unnecessary. It's, yeah, a lot of it's unnecessary, man. And I just, you know, I'm not going to get too much into the Zack Snyder of it all because I feel like we kind of did that on our Justice League mm-hmm. uh, episode. Um, but I do feel like it's, it is fascinating to me that like he has sort of this built up this devoted following. And I don't think his output merits it. Again, I, I I really like if like if you go back to Dawn of the Dead, which I agree is 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 like his I would say it's his second strongest film. Um, but even that is like benefits a lot from a James Gunn screenplay, you know. Yeah. And so I feel like as an artist, like if you look at like what did Zack Snyder build his name on? One was a remake of a Romero film that was much better than it was expected to be. And then it was 300 and Watchmen. And if you look at 300 and Watchmen, those are just very faithful adaptations. Like panel for panel. Like if you open the book, you can point at the scene that he's just recreating. So as an artist, I'm like, what are we doing here? And so I feel like if you look at like Zack Snyder as, you know, when did Zack Snyder get to make his full artistic expression? And those examples would be, sucker punch somewhat because that also was not there hasn't there is a snyder cut of sucker punch that will never be released (laughs) (laughs) yes um but so it's it's sort of close to what he wanted but this is you know this is this is zach snyder getting to do exactly what he wanted start to finish and i'm not impressed yeah even zach snyder's justice league we know during production he was asked not he was not allowed to film certain scenes like he was he wanted to do a love story between bruce wayne and uh lois lane 
and Warner Brothers was like, nope. So, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League is, you know, his version to a point. But yeah, I'd agree, you know, just purely from his mind. Well, I guess is Legend of the Guardians. Is that an original story? That's <laughs> an adaptation of, of a book. Okay. Um, and he's also the completely wrong director of it. But <laughs> I think the best thing about Legend of the Guardians is how it was used in 30 Rock. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's all entirely worth it. Well, the pure ones Rock will moon blink us. <laughs> Guardians of Gahul. Uh yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating because he's he's a tremendous visual stylist, although I will say the his cinematography in this movie also really irked me. The decision to use a long lens for every single shot was just like... It, does, it was super weird because it leaves a lot of things like oddly blurry at You're the You're just margins. obscuring all of the work in the background. <laughs> like, all right, you know, you've got some really cool looking zombies here, but you just want to like never focus on more than one character at once. Cool. Got it. It was a yeah weird choice. Sounds good. But I do think he's a tremendously gifted visual stylist and he creates really beautiful tableaus in his film. They don't make sense a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Like they don't narratively make any sense, but they're super pretty. Um, but yeah, I would agree. I don't, I don't necessarily think he's a great story guy, which is why, you know, I think, I don't know, Man of Steel is a curious film. I know a lot of people don't like that movie, but that was very much like Christopher Nolan and David Escoyer handing him the story that they had put together and making him the steward of that story. Um, so I don't know. I'd be curious to see another like collaboration on that level again. Although I don't necessarily feel like that's going to happen because he's, he's on his own level at this point where he's probably going to produce his own material, um, yeah. and do whatever he wants, which I is will... fine. Again, I really, I liked parts of this movie quite a bit. I, I really enjoyed the characters and I enjoyed some of the gorier scenes. There were, it's not a completely joyless film, which is no. not something I can say for Batman versus Superman. And look, I, I will say like the, like to, to, to try to finish up on saying something nice, uh, a moment I absolutely loved is when they all get together and they lay out the whole heist plan and the, you know, it's like, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go in. We're going to do this and this and this. And um, I forget the character's name. I'm going to have to check this out. One second. Uh, it is Mikey Guzman. He's brought along two people. He's brought on two pals. And one of the pals is like, this is dumb. <laughs> he's just like, I'm not going to do this. I'm out. I'm out. Nope. And he just leaves and he's never seen again. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, that's my favorite character in the movie. The guy who's like, this is unnecessarily risky and I don't want to do it. Bye. So even when in the context of that scene though, I think Snyder does it, he executes it wrong. Cause it, it should be funny, but like, Raul Castillo's character is like really upset and hurt by it. And it's played as like, oh man, like, oof. Yeah. What are you going to do like that? Oh, this is really upsetting. So it's this, this like dichotomy of like, you have Tignataro cracking jokes, but you also want to take things super seriously. Mm -hmm. But then you also want to twist this woman's head around. So uh, to take your compliment and now make it negative. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's Adam. That's, I found that very baffling because I also thought that was very funny. But then the way the scene continues to play out is if it's like, oh, my God, this guy is like really wronged his friend and like it's right. really serious and sad. And I was like, I, I was having fun here. Man. Yeah, that was a great. I thought it was a really good joke because I think I thought it was a really good subversion of the heist genre where like someone's like, no, no, thank you. I'm just out. Yeah. I don't. It's sort of a. It reminded me of South Park when they were like, we were promised there would be punch and pie. There's no punch and pie. Oh, and they just leave. <laughs> yes. We were promised there would be punch and pie. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. My my takeaway army of the dead is that I would like uh, Steven Soderbergh to make another heist movie. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to get Lucky it. is tremendous. So. Well, you're going to get it. It's just going to be a heist gone wrong movie. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, well, with that, let's let's move on to uh, recent or not recently watched. We have we have a reader hot take from Tony. Yes. Um, so I'm going to share this uh, as always. If you have a hot take, if you like the show, leave us a review on on iTunes on the podcast app. And uh, but also tell us some hot take you want us to engage with on the show and we'll do it. So Tony says, I don't like Will Ferrell movies. In general, they just aren't funny to me. There are some exceptions like Elf and Old School. I even someone enjoyed Eurovision last year. But when most people I know are quoting from their, their favorite lines from Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, the other guys, and Anchorman, I have just have nothing to add. They're just too silly and nonsensical to be funny. What's even stranger is that I like many Adam Sandler movies. I know, it's madness. I'm definitely in the minority, but I can't fake my way through it anymore. Uh, thank you, Tony. Yeah, I, you know, I, 
it's Will Ferrell's career has been interesting for sure. Cause you do like, I think elf and old school are in a different breed that like the films you just named are the Adam McKay movies. Mm-hmm. Like the movies that like people are quoting are the Adam McKay movies, whereas elf and old school elf is John Favreau and old school is um, Todd Phillips. Joker. <laughs> the director of the Joker. <laughs> um, and so I don't know, I guess maybe it's a matter of how it's used or how the, of how Will Ferrell is used in certain movies. Um, but I would also say, like, I think, I mean, I, I disagree. I think Will Ferrell's best comedic collaborations are always with McKay. Yeah. Um, those are just like Step Brothers and Anchorman just really stand the test of time. Um, and even like like uh, the other guys, which is not like one of my all-time faves, but uh, Mike Ryan of Uprock shared one of my favorite scenes on Twitter this weekend, which is when Samuel Jackson and Dwayne Johnson <laughs> jump off the building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it was such an amazing, such an amazing joke. It's very funny. Um, yeah, it's possible. Uh, like you know, I totally understand that Will Ferrell is not everyone's brand of comedy. My wife does not uh, find him very funny, mm. um, but I would agree that the McKay stuff is is where he's funniest. I think that he fell into a little bit. So he and McKay worked together on SNL and McKay was like the writer who would write the best Will Ferrell sketches. So I think he fell into a trap where, you know, when he got super famous, he started doing films without McKay and like directors, I don't think didn't know how to use him well enough. That's mm-hmm. how you would get stuff like Blades of Glory or like semi I think Blades of Glory is actually all right, but I haven't seen it forever. It's, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's not like, it's not great, but it's got, it's got its moments. I would say stuff like Land of the Lost is where you yeah. really are going astray. Yeah, that's fair. Or stuff that like, you know, seem promising and like just doesn't really work like the campaign or the house or, or, semi, or semi-pro yeah. or semi-pro or Holmes and Watson. Like it's, it's really like a, you know, the execution is not there, yeah. but I will say, I, I listened to a podcast with Farrell fairly recently. I think it was on Conan's podcast where he said like entirely all of his career choices at this point are motivated by what makes him like happy. Like mm-hmm. what he thinks it's funny. Like if it's something that he thinks would be funny, like what if I starred in a lifetime movie with Kristen Wiig and didn't tell anyone, like he's going to do it. So I, you know, and for someone who has given a, like who has done so much and spent so much time on SNL and all these other films, I'm like, you know what, if that's what you want to do, go for it. No, absolutely. And especially with like, you know, the comedy as a genre is kind of in dire straits right now anyway. So you may as well just do the things you want to do mm-hmm. rather than being like, I will chase a comedy audience that is no longer showing up in theaters. It's way why it's much wiser to do something like Eurovision, which is like, yeah, Netflix just paid us a bunch of money to do this silly Eurovision movie. Yeah. And we had fun with it and we ended up getting an Oscar nomination. So I do find it very interesting though, the uh, essential breakup between him and McKay, they, they split up their production company and I was listening to McKay on, I think it was happy sack confused podcast, Josh Horowitz's podcast. And he talked a little bit about it because Gary Sanchez was their production company mm-hmm. and they were produced a bunch of things together. And McKay essentially said he hit a wall where he decided he just couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't do the movie where like, you know, the guy, uh, his daughter is dating this other guy who's like, they butt heads and whatever. Like McKay is now entirely focused on making things that reflect the real world and they're like sociopolitical like commentary. So like he like, and I thought that was really interesting because like Farrell is very much like whatever makes me laugh. And McKay is like, it has to be talking about what's happening in the world right now. And so that kind of caused that split. I didn't, you know, I have no idea if that's a personal split. He didn't really say if they're, I think they're still friends, but. I don't know. I mean, and what's interesting is like just the other week, like Funny or Die sold to some new invest, like new owner, you know. They left Funny or Die years ago. They stepped away from that. Like I mean, like when they started together, you know, yeah, that was a big yeah. deal. Oh, for sure. And they left a while ago, but yeah, that was. But I don't know. I just found um, that interesting that the two of them are going very different ways in their careers, having kind of started uh, as this partnership together. Yeah, no, I think it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm very wary of of don't look up. I think yeah. it could be horrible. Yeah. I think it, it, like, I get that it has like an amazing cast, but it feels like the most, like I am, I obviously like, you know, I'm, I, I believe climate change is a serious issue. We should address it head on. I have no doubt, but like the notion that like, I'm going to use a meteor as a, 
as a metaphor for the climate change debate. Like it just seems painfully obvious. It seems like something that could, you could get into an SNL sketch, not a feat, like you don't need a feature length film for it. Yeah. I'm curious to um, see how that turns but, out. Yeah. Like, and again, like, and I feel like it's one of those movies, like a mass is a big cast because all these actors want to be like, we take climate change seriously. It's like, that's mm. good to know. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Different um, degrees of success. Who knows? I, mean, like, I think vice is not a success, but I think succession is a success in terms of trying to tell a story that is talking about the world in which mm. we live right now. Right. That is also succeeding as a Although story six, on And succession, I'm curious about how much of his involvement is there. Cause I feel like the weakest episodes were the first ones that he directed. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like, if like, I don't know what his day to day is on succession and how much is like, cause it feels like that, jesse armstrong is the one really yeah. guiding that ship well and in the in that same podcast it sounds like he is involved in like you know overseeing the helping oversee the writer's room and offering notes and offering notes on scripts and cuts and stuff but jesse armstrong is the showrunner so that is very much jesse's baby right um but you know i hope you know as someone actually as, as someone who kind of defended vice because i feel like vice is sort of a excuse me, vice is sort of like a primal scream of being like, yes. I lived through the Bush administration and you elected someone worse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, that's, that to me is what vice is. Um, but I understand why people don't like it. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But thank you for writing in. And again, if you have hot takes, just send them our way by leaving us a review on iTunes. Uh, with that, let's move into recently watched. Adam, what have you seen lately that you'd like to talk about? Well, apparently I couldn't get enough of super long movies. Uh, decided to watch the director's cut of Troy for the first time. Because I have it. I have the director's cut of Troy. And my wife and I have been like, when's the right time to watch the three hour and 40 minute movie? <laughs> <laughs> the right time is on a Saturday night starting at like 7.45 p.m. Uh, that's what my okay. wife and I did. <laughs> and like making popcorn and whatever. Um, and she was inspired. She really wanted to watch it because they had been talking about it at work. I guess she had just recently read a book called The Song of Achilles, which is like a novel uh, right. like reworking of the Iliad. Um, and I remember being super into Troy when it came out. Uh, it was a big deal. Like this was kind of, this is one of the last of those kinds of movies that like, I don't know if, you know, let me tell you children, uh, what used to happen was Hollywood was full of these historical epics that were like Gladiator and Braveheart and the Patriot. And you would have like, you know, large scale battles and they took place like way far in the past um, and had really high production value and you put a bunch of stars in them. And that's what Troy is. And, and Troy is the movie that uh, Brad Pitt did after dropping out of the fountain. He got super swole and he played Achilles and uh, it changed his career. And I, I think I might write something about this, but in the director's cut of it, it is longer. It's like three hours and 15 minutes. Um, it is much more violent. The, the sacking of Troy, uh, I will say that I was very keenly aware that this was written by David Benioff. <laughs> <laughs> the sacking of troy there are babies being thrown and women being assaulted and the people like being thrown out of buildings <laughs> like it's very very uh gory as opposed to in the theatrical cut where it's almost an afterthought because most of the movie you know takes place outside the gates of troy um and then it's only at the very end that you know the trojan horse goes in sorry spoiler alert for the iliad <laughs> for for the iliad which has been around for a couple millennia <laughs> um I don't know. It was interesting revisiting it. I haven't watched Troy in a while. So I don't, you know, I, I looked online to see what the biggest differences were. Odysseus has a bit of a bigger role played by Sean Bean. Um, and he has kind of a funnier introduction. Um, and it is much gorier. By and large, oh, the big difference is the music. Uh, so like they took away a lot of the um, choir that James Horner put together, which was a, to me was a defining characteristic of Troy, got rid of that. And then the climactic battle between um, Achilles and Hector is replaced by Danny Elfman's theme from Planet of the Apes for some reason. I don't know why Wolfgang Peterson wow. decided this was better. Um, and I don't think, I think it's a change for the worse because that I associate that battle scene, um, which I was super hyped for when it came out with those drums and like the, you know, I thought James Horner's work on that was really good. Although I read up, I guess James Horner, like James Horner replaced another composer and he only had like four weeks to make the score. So it's possible Wolfgang wasn't crazy about it. Um, those were the major differences. You know, is the movie good? 
it feels like it's from another era. Like it's very melodramatic. Um, and that melodrama, like your mileage may vary in terms of how much you can muster. Um, you know, Paris is still a, you know, whiny little jerk who you just want to punch in the face. Uh, and you're just like, get out there, Paris and fight. Uh, Eric Bana rules in this movie. And I also really like Brad Pitt in this movie, but I went back and read, I guess Brad Pitt did an interview with the New York times or maybe the New Yorker fairly recently. And he was looking back on Troy and he said, you know, his problem with Troy is that he looked up on the screen and everything was like a hero shot. And like, here's the hero. He was like, there was no ambiguity. He said he was kind of spoiled by working with Fincher and doing like complex characters. And you go back and look at his filmography and literally after Troy, he stopped like, no more of like the prototypical like hero type guy save for maybe world war z i was gonna say except for world war z yeah but like in the immediate wake of that his next movie was oceans 12 and then it's assassination of jesse james he's doing like much more interesting like complicated characters after that so troy feels like kind of the last like you know he got famous for being this really handsome pretty movie star and troy is like let me buff up i am literally achilles i am a god and sayonara like that's it see you later folks like, i'm not gonna that's do this as far again. as that's as far as i'll go into ever doing a superhero yeah and it is that, like, well that and megamind yes and megamind but troy does feel like brad pitt's superhero movie because achilles is this god figure and like everyone is trying uh you know everyone is either fearful fearful of him or envious of him or looks up to him and he walks around like he owns the place i find it to be a really interesting performance because again it feels like like oh, this is what a Brad Pitt superhero movie might look like. And he, gave, he plays the character much more conflicted than, you know, uh, another, any of your like prototypical superheroes because he's a guy who like wants to be remembered, but, you know, prophecies foretell he will die in this battle. He will never leave. And, you know, it's the kind of like battle of egos between him and Hector. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, and it's like the way it's shot, like it's a little overlit and it's not as, uh, you know, I guess like refined as some uh, like historical epics might be like, I think gladiator has a really interesting palette. Troy's palette is not as interesting, but I was super wowed by just watching like real sets, which is something they don't do anymore. It feels like, it feels like everything is like a virtual set or like, we'll just virtual in the background, but like they're out there on the beach and like, you know, the Trojan horse is a real thing and you see real guys coming out of the Trojan horse and it's silly like i feel like i'm giving it credit for like just doing what they used to do in movies but it feels like a real no, i mean it's a bygone era. era yeah so i don't know i i would say it's worth watching if you're interested if you've never seen troy or you have seen troy but it's been a long time it's worth checking out if you have seen troy recently you know the director's cut is not crazy different by my estimation aside from the gore and stuff but it also feels like david benioff working out some stuff that he would eventually uh you know do a lot more of in game of thrones because like in the first 20 minutes my wife has not seen game of thrones i was like this is basically what game of thrones is i was just telling because it was it just felt similar um and those battle like those fights hold up man like the achilles hector battle is is still really cool save for the planet of the apes music (laughs) where it's like all of a sudden you get some like jerry goldsmith xylophone in there like what this is not this is not what i remember this scene as being so, yeah I but the cast it. is stacked because oh yeah diane kruger brian cox brendan gleason peter o'toole Orlando yeah everyone's Bloom. in it yeah yeah i went to go see that um i was i was actually in college at the time studying classics mm. and so like you know me and my classmates were like yeah we're, we're down we're down for this and we we're like this is bad um <laughs> yeah. so i haven't seen and that's all that's the i saw the theatrical cut once but i i have the director's cut because it was like on sale for digital and i was like yeah i'll get this and so like yeah. but i i've been meaning to watch it um but it's good to know that like, i you know, not to expect like some, you know, kingdom of heaven level upgrade. Yeah. It's not vastly different. It, you know, it still has the problems that the original film had. It's, it's very melodramatic, but Mm -hmm. like just as someone who is interested in classics and stuff like that, you know, I, it didn't feel like I wasted my night. I will say. That's fair. Uh, For me, I finally rewatched, which I've been meaning to rewatch for a while out of sight. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's 1998 film with George Clooney. Uh, and I rewatched it partially because I had watched, I had recently watched a, uh, a YouTube video with Clooney talking about his career. And he pointed out with Out of Sight that both he and Soderbergh needed a hit at this point. And so they, uh, they went to adapt this Elmore Leonard book. 
And Elmore Leonard was a pretty hot property in the late nineties in terms of, I mean, he's, I mean, he's been around forever. I mean, he passed away in 2013, I believe, but like he wrote like 50 some odd books. Um, and, you know, but in the late nineties, you had Get Shorty, you had Jackie Brown, which is based off Rum Punch, uh, but you also had Out of Sight. And so the plot of Out of Sight is that George Clooney is this bank robber um, who uh, has just escaped from prison. And he, uh, during the escape, he runs into a federal marshal uh, or U.S. marshal played by uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez. And they end up kidnapping, they have to kidnap her as they make their getaway. And it's interesting because the film is on one level, just total fantasy wish fulfillment for dudes. Like, what if you were like this hotshot Clooney bank robber guy who's like, you rob banks, but you're not a violent guy, but like you're a cool guy. And then like you kidnap this sexy federal agent. And then like, you know, you just have such electric chemistry that like everything between you is sexy. And that's the thing about Outside. It is a very sexy film. Yeah. Um, but it also like kind of seeds the coolness that like uh, Soderbergh would bring to Ocean's Eleven uh, a few years later. But, you know, and then the, the overarching plot is that, you know, he escapes and then she's still tracking him down. Um, but it's kind of a race to these diamonds that belong to a criminal that he knew in prison, played by Albert Brooks. It's a ridiculous, like, we're talking, you want to talk about stacked cast, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got Clooney, Ving Rames, Albert Brooks, Don Cheadle, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, in bit roles, Samuel Jackson pops up, Viola Davis pops up, Isaiah Washington is in it. Everyone's in this movie. That you like, oh, Steve Zahn <laughs> is in the movie. Yeah, Steve Zahn is good in that movie. He's really good in the movie. Um, but it's it's sort of like I I it's just it's is I accept it that it is in many that in some ways it is hashtag problematic as a story. But I also be like, it's cool and sexy. And I am in no way surprised that this was a, even though the film wasn't a massive box office hit, it was a critical hit. And it was like so important to both Clooney and Soderbergh's careers. Um, You really need, if you you can't really tell the story about either of those dudes without out of sight. No. And I think, I think the film holds up. I think it, it, it holds up pretty well. Uh, it even has some, like, as my wife pointed out, has some like Coen brothers moments in it, yeah. like in sort of like the buffoonery that kind of crops up from time to time. Uh, but I, I dug it. I think it's, it's a good film. Um, and uh, it's interesting to sort of see where both Soderbergh and Clooney have gone afterwards, but just sort of this essential film in both their careers. It almost has a bit of a, like a modern day remake of like charade vibe, but like not as bad as the truth about Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit like that sort like of that like flavor these two, a little bit, little flavor of these, you know, these two characters being, but you know, the Jennifer Lopez's Karen Cisco is nowhere near as sort of, I don't want to say Audrey Hepburn is frail, but she's very dainty. Yeah. 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 Uh, whereas Karen Cisco, like, you know, comes out with a shotgun. Um, I think it's great. I think it's still it's one of Soderbergh's best movies. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I watched. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week with two episodes. One episode, we'll be talking about Mayor of Easttown, which the finale airs on this upcoming Sunday. And we'll also be talking about A Quiet Place Part 2, which hits theaters this Friday. So please tune in to those episodes and have a great week. Bye.